Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The School's Out for Summer edition. As the Bengals wrap up their mandatory minicamp earlier than expected, meaning the next time we'll see the players in uniform is at training camp in late July. Coming up, you'll hear from three people. Number one draft pick Jamar Chase, second-year linebacker Logan Wilson, and my broadcast partner Dave Lapham. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... Old guys shooting hoops at the gym. I belong to a local fitness club. My physique provides ample evidence that my attendance at said club isn't great, but one thing that inspires me to drag my butt in there as often as possible is seeing a handful of elderly guys who regularly shoot hoops. I'm guessing that some are in their 80s. There's not much running and jumping involved, which is how I played in my teens, but they're out there having fun and staying active. I should probably start working on my set shot. Now, let's get to football. When A.J. Green was still with the Bengals, he used to host a youth football camp in Cincinnati, and one of the teammates he brought with him at the start of that player's NFL career was Joe Mixon. Now Joe hosts his own football camp, and last weekend he brought a rookie out to meet the campers, number one draft pick, Jamar Chase. I'm sure it was quite a thrill for the hundreds of youngsters that attended the camp last weekend at Sycamore High School, and I caught up with the rookie wide receiver out of LSU. Got a couple hundred kids here, and they obviously get a thrill out of meeting somebody like you. What does this do for you? Uh, It just, you know, shows that, you know, I have a humble heart. You know, I want to give back to the community, you know, show that I'm willing, you know, to show support. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just goodwill. It's Joe Mixon's camp. Did Joe reach out and say, hey, Rook, can you help a brother out? <laughs> uh, Joe did kind of hit me up. You know, he told me, you know, come out here and have a little fun with him. So uh, I decided to come show and show some love. Did you ever meet a professional athlete when you were these kids' age? I don't think I did. I don't think I did, but I wish I would have. I wish I would have. What would it have done for you at that age? Uh, I don't know. I'd probably just been excited had asked a bunch of questions. I think that would have been my go-to. What kind of message do you give kids when you have the opportunity to talk to them? Mm-hmm. Um, my message to the kids are, you know, um, still be a kid as you're a kid now. You know, your, your life will go by fast and you won't know. Um, but, you know, have fun and live the life that, that you're in right now at the moment. You know, I, I know you might not understand it, but, you know, have all the fun that you can right now at the moment. Let's talk about Bengals camp so far. You've had three weeks of OTAs. What have been your impressions of your teammates and Joe Burrow in particular? Yeah, I think uh, right now we're going to be we're doing a little good. We're getting everything back in motion. Uh, I feel like the offense is getting a little better with the with the uh, offensive signs and whatever else we got going on. Um, but for the most part, I can't wait till we get at it. You know, really see what competing is with the other guys and the defense, and we we'll all see how that plays a part. Have you been excited by the fact that Joe has been out there basically doing everything this soon since his injury? Uh, I'm excited that I'm on the field with Joe right now still. (laughs) So, of course, I'm excited for him to be back. You know, uh, it just, you know, it it brings everybody else's energy to see Joe on the field, you know, practicing with us. Even though you two guys had two years together at LSU, we've seen you after practices Mm -hmm. getting in extra work with him. Why? 
Um, that extra work is always going to come. You know, you never know when you might need it. So uh, we got to be prepared for any situation, especially in the NFL now. So, you know, that's just old, old me and Joe getting our work together, making sure we're on the same page. Looking around the NFL, there are several teams that have just maybe half of the roster, even less than that, right. at their voluntary camps. The Bengals have had perfect attendance. What has that meant to you and the other guys on the team? Uh, it means a lot to me and the rest of the guys, you know, showing that, you know, we want to work, we need to get better, so we all need to be here at one time. And uh, I think that's the reason why we all in attendance. The Bengals receiving core. We've added you to Tyler Boyd, mm -hmm. T. Higgins, etc. How good is this group? <laughs> uh, this group's amazing right now, man. There's so much work we're putting in at the moment. Uh, we still have a long journey to go through. Um, you know, but, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't even know what to say. I'm just excited to see what we all can do on the field at the same time. Kids are out here today sweating on a hot Cincinnati day. Does this feel like you're back home in Louisiana? It does almost. It almost feels back home. You know, the sun's out, feel bright, so it's sunny as heck. <laughs> the team has a mandatory camp coming up this week. Mm -hmm. You'll go through that. Then what happens for you between that and the start of real training camp in July? Yeah. Um, just make sure I stay in consistent shape. You know, make sure I keep my hands clean um, and making sure I'm on top of my fundamentals that I need to make sure I'm on top of. So that all play a part in the long run. As a rookie, are you just trying to blend in with the veterans right now and kind of, you know, do your job, work hard, not say much, or is that not your personality? Um, I'm more of a blending type, but, you know, I want to stand out while I'm blending in. You know, that's always the way of going about things, and I want to, you know, stand out while I'm blending in at the same time. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being out here for these kids today. Thank you. You know what was nice about that interview? It was done in person. Due to the pandemic, I still haven't met Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, or the other members of last year's rookie class face-to-face. -face. I've talked to them on the phone and on Zoom calls, but thanks to vaccinations, it's going to be nice going forward to introduce myself again and get to know guys on a more individual basis. Now time to hear from one of those guys from last year's rookie class, third-round draft pick Logan Wilson. Last year, Josh Bynes took the most snaps on defense of any Bengals linebacker. He was on the field about 72% of the time. Since the Bengals elected not to re-sign Bynes, who turns 32 in August, Wilson figures to slide into that starting spot in the middle of the Bengals' defense. Logan, the offseason after your rookie year was probably the first time in several years you've had a significant chunk of time off, no school, no getting ready for the combine. How was it, and what did you do with your time off? Uh, it was very, very nice just to kind of have some time to uh, relax. Um, my fiance, uh, well, prior to the offseason starting, she wasn't my fiance, but during the offseason, we got engaged, and um, we were back at the University of Wyoming. She was finishing up her student teaching, so we kind of spent most of our time down there, and then we uh, got a house back in Casper, my, our hometown. So um, it, was, it was a really good off season. And, um, we still got some time left, you know, after uh, mini camp to head back out there. But it was it was good to say the least. Congratulations on the engagement. Uh, I saw that you. that you posted the footage on Instagram. You, you dropped down to yeah. a knee at the football stadium on a snowy, yeah. snow-covered field. Uh, you got the uh, video board operator involved. You did it upright. Yeah, I, I talked to some of the media guys that um, worked there that um, I knew from my time there, and they helped me set up. They did all the graphic and everything. I just sent them the pictures, and 
told them what to put on it and um yeah it was there was very very helpful that they did that for me and then it was a uh, she it was funny because she really thought that it wasn't going to be uh um she thought it was an interview for me and then i just wanted her to come along um <laughs> just for some pictures purposes and um we tricked her so well done very well done we're talking to bengals linebacker logan wilson so when I've talked to some players in the past after the rookie year, some guys have said, I needed to get stronger after seeing NFL competition, or I needed to get leaner, whatever it might be. Did you feel anything along those lines? Truthfully, not really. Um, you know, I feel like my the size I'm at and the weight I'm at, I've been at for the last few years, and um, I feel pretty good. I think there's always room to get stronger. You know, like I... Um, definitely got weaker towards the end of the season. I feel like that's kind of natural, um, you know, when you're not lifting heavy weights all the time. Um, so I definitely uh, put some muscle back on this off season, which was um, a point of mine. I went well since we were back in Wyoming, in Laramie, Wyoming, um, back at the university. I just trained with my strength coach um, from my time there, and just kind of did the workouts that the, I did in college. And, I put some weight on, and now I'm back down to where I was at. So, You missed the last three games last year with an ankle injury. How bad was it, and when were you fully recovered? Oh, man, it was uh, it was tough. It was just, um, I mean, it was a high ankle sprain, and those things just take so long to heal because they just don't get as much blood flow. It's so far away from the heart, and so um, it was it was tough. I, you know, I don't know. I've got rehab on it for probably three months after the season um maybe four really mm. it, it, i mean it took forever to truthfully heal um i had some stuff in the uh back portion of my ankle that needed to work its way out and it just so sadly it take, just takes time sometimes so it took it definitely took its time healing but everything is fine now yes yes yeah mm. just took its time for basically until like i want to say till probably april we're talking to Logan Wilson. I imagine any player's first year in the NFL is pretty crazy. Was there anything that was even tougher than you thought it would be? Um, I think just playing against professional offensive linemen. I think, I mean, they're just guys that big that move that fast is is freaky. So <laughs> going against them all the time, and um, it was definitely a crazy year, obviously with COVID, and I think it was really weird truthfully playing in front of no fans just crowd, fake crowd noise and um i don't know i i've never done that in my entire life ever played a football game in front of zero fans even when i was playing major football back in wyoming it was we still i used to have all your parents and family and friends and so um it was definitely weird on the flip side was there anything easier than you thought it would be you know, I, I don't even, I don't know if I, if there was anything, I knew it was going to be a challenge regardless, you know, and I, um, there's just so much that goes into it and especially having no like in person, anything until training camp. So we're just trying to learn the system. I knew there was, I mean, it was definitely tough to learn the system just with zoom, um, you know, not being able to actually go out there. And I think that for me, that was hard because I, I learned best like going out there and then making a mistake and understanding why I made that mistake and then trying not to make that same mistake again, if that makes sense. And so that was definitely um, tough. You sound pretty excited to go through an NFL season when things are back to normal or at least close yeah. to it. Yeah. I mean, it'll feel 
like some sense of normalcy. I feel like last year this just like I said, it's just it was just so weird, you know, going out there or then there was like limited fans in certain stadiums and um it's just not anything you would expect to hear, you know, and that, but also so much happened with COVID. No one expected any of that stuff to happen. So that was kind of the, the way of 2020, so to say. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to having full capacity um, in stadiums in the fall. We're visiting with Logan Wilson in free agency this off season. The Bengals spent a lot of money on defense. Uh, Trey Hendrickson and Larry Ogunjobi up front, Chidabea Wuje and Mike Hilton among the guys in the secondary. Then in the draft, they drafted uh, four defensive linemen, but they did not add linebackers in free agency or the draft. What did that say to you about the, how they feel about the position group? Um, I think they feel, they feel very strong about us. Um, we brought back, obviously brought back Jordan Evans too, and um, I think we have a very strong um, linebackers group, and they were very smart. And we kind of have a year under belt under our belt to understand the system and what needs to be done. So, um, you know, I think that that, that kind of speaks for itself. How do you expect your role to change and grow? I would just say that I'm, you know, I I want to kind of be the guy that kind of runs the show now, step in where uh, Bynes was, so to say. Um, you know, Bynes was. I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better linebacker truthfully to learn under. He was like a walking football library. So, um, you know, I'm just going to try to make my own mark, you know, on this team and just kind of do what needs to be done for to help us with football games. That's kind of my goal. You've been here for a few weeks with the voluntary spring practices and now the mandatory minicamp is happening this week. Has anything stood out to you about the practices that you've been through so far? I mean, it's hard to say, truthfully. Nothing's been, like, full-speed competition, you know. So, um, you know, it's definitely nice having – there's definitely some fresh faces on defense, um, and it's kind of exciting to see the guys we brought in in free agency and the guys that we brought in in the draft. Um, seeing guys like Trey Henderson, Trey Wayne's back out there, you know, after not being able to play last year. Um, it's nice to see see those guys around on the field. How fired up were you to see Joe Burrow out there on day one? It was good. It was really, I mean, obviously he's, he's the leader of our franchise. So um, anytime he's out there, it's just kind of a, a blessing to be able to, to watch him play. And, you know, obviously um, he's a very good player. And, you know, as, as his knee continues to heal, hopefully he gets back to 100%. And, you know, I don't know the, the in-depth um, about all his rehab process, but um it seems like he's doing really well, and um, we definitely are hoping to have him out there for the season. You guys have had perfect attendance, basically, for voluntary OTAs, and that has not been the case around the NFL. The Players Union actually encouraged you guys to uh, to skip if you wanted to. What did that say to you, and how significant do you think it is that everybody has been here? I mean, it's definitely significant. Um, our leaders kind of – Talk, negotiated so to say with coach taylor and um figured out a plan for us to come back and then and be able to kind of protect us from getting injured so um i think that's why a lot of guys um came back for it and obviously you know we didn't have the as good of a year as we would have liked to last year and so we know that there's work to do and that's kind of what our everyone's mindset was in terms of why we needed to come back and get some get some some sort of work, work in how fired up are you for your second nfl season I'm definitely excited. You know, there's going to be new challenges that present itself, but um, that's life in general. And, you know, 
how you attack adversity kind of says a lot about you and your character. And so I, I held myself to a very high standard. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what we can do um, on defense and then as a, as a team. So it'll be it'll be a very fun year and hopefully, like I said, get some sense of normalcy with some full stadiums. We are looking forward to seeing you in the middle of the defense. Congratulations again on the offseason engagement. Uh, stay healthy in 2021 and thanks for the time. Thank you very much. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. We expected the Bengals to have a three-day minicamp this week, but it ended after day one as head coach Zach Taylor sent the players home for their summer vacation early. It was partly a reward for perfect attendance during the nine voluntary practices, but Taylor also apparently dangled the possibility of an early break as incentive for the players to get vaccinated. Like Major League Baseball, it appears that the NFL is going to use 85% of the roster being vaccinated as the benchmark for relaxing COVID protocols. 85% of a 90-man roster would be 76.5, and it appears that the Bengals are among a handful of teams with more than 70 players vaccinated. Now time to discuss that and much more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, let's start with Zach Taylor's decision to end the three-day mandatory minicamp after just one practice and send everybody home until training camp in late July. You played for Paul Brown and Forrest Gregg. How do you react to this news? Uh, well, of the two guys you mentioned, I could see Paul Brown doing it, potentially. Paul Brown was a guy that if you got your work done and, and he felt like uh, things were in good order, he never really had you out in the field for long periods of time and didn't really beat you up. Forrest Greg, on the other hand, you know, he was a Vince Lombardi disciple, so I'm sure we would have been out there maybe even longer. Um, he would have taken every minute that uh, that he would have been allowed. But it was, I think, when you look at it, Dan, they, I, the reward that the carrot that Zach dangled out there that the guys really appreciated was they showed up. You know, they had, I don't think there's anybody in the league that can claim the success the Bengals had with OTAs. And Got a lot of work done, and um, so figured, what the heck, had had a bunch of good workouts that a lot of guys on the field working together, you know, advancing uh, mentally and physically. Let's um, let's just use this Wednesday and Thursday, as at least today. I know today there's probably quite a few guys down there getting vaccinated. There were a handful, maybe a few more guys short of getting that 85%. They were right there. So if they can get that done and, uh, and say, you know, here, here's, here's the incentive, shut, it, shut down the last two days, you guys uh, see if we can get a few more guys vaccinated and make it easier with the protocols at training camp. Because my understanding is the protocols to guys that won't be vaccinated, they're still going to have to get tested every day. They're going to have to wear masks, all that kind of thing. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be kind of like the scarlet letter. Oh, there's one. He's going to mask on. You know, it's like. So it's going to it's going to be a very interesting, uh, very interesting dynamic of how all that unfolds. So um, I, I, I bet I bet there's a few guys down there today being Wednesday getting their uh, getting their vaccinations. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it sounds like the decision to uh, end the camp after one day was definitely tied to that vaccination level. The Washington Post reported this week that more than half of NFL teams have at least 50 vaccinated players. Three teams have 70 or more. 
four teams have a very low number, the Colts, the Jags, the Cardinals, and the Chargers. I'm assuming the Bengals are one of the three teams that have 70 or more uh, based on this decision. And as you were saying, I mean, even something as simple as being able to eat in the cafeteria if you're vaccinated, yep. as opposed to, you know, grabbing a box lunch and eating it in front of your locker, all of those little things uh, make a big difference in a group of, you know, what ultimately is going to be uh, 90 guys in training camp. There's no doubt, Dan. And, uh, you know, just here listening to, uh, you know, sports uh, ESPN this morning, Chris Paul uh, tested positive. And they're not sure if he's been vaccinated or not. That hasn't been made public. But if he's been vaccinated, he's going to be quarantined for a much shorter time than if he wasn't. And that's right in the middle of the playoffs. And, you know, that's the thing. It can it can linger on. All of a sudden you lose uh, a, a guy or maybe more than one guy for a critical division game against Baltimore or Cleveland at some point during the season or, you know, everything's going along smoothly through training camp. Then all of a sudden you get a positive test right before the opener and it starts to mess with your roster. I know those kind of things are nightmares for coaches. So the, uh, the after effect, the hangover from COVID-19 isn't, uh, isn't gone yet. They're still suffering through, you know, some of that hangover for sure. So we learned on Tuesday that offensive lineman Hakeem Adeniji has a torn pectoral muscle that required surgery. He's going to be out for months, maybe the entire season. How big of a blow is this? Yeah, it's 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 almost uh, unbelievable to me that Trey Waynes and now Adeniji, back-to-back season, same thing, lifting weights. And Adeniji's lifting weights off-site, is my understanding, you know, had, had, had the injury, had the problem. I don't know if it was the bench press, simple bench press routine like Trey Waynes was doing, but it was something, you know, involving the chest, dumbbells or free weights or whatever. Um, it's, it's sad, really, because I, I think I think he's he's got a bright future. I, I don't think this is going to be something that he won't be able to recover from, but I think he would have been a very viable candidate for that left guard position. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're one less person competing for that left guard spot. I think I think the other four spots are pretty much not cement cemented, but I think they have a pretty good idea of the way at least they're going to line up uh, initially. And, uh, and then it's kind of a free for all at that left guard spot. Um, and the dentist, you won't be, won't be part of that. And, you know, early to, to lose a season this early in your career too, you know, when you just starting through that developmental process, he's the raw tools in terms of, we've talked about his footwork and, you know, he's got pretty good hand placement, pretty good punch and all that, all those kind of things are great. But boy, there's nothing like, you know, getting reps. And when you start to miss reps um, after having the, you know, the first few blocks of the foundation are there from your rookie year. And like I've said many times, I know it was the case for me. I know it was the case for a lot of teammates and guys that I played against year one to year two, man, it's, well, it's a whole new world. I mean, your eyes open up a, a much different perspective of what the heck you're, you're, you're looking at and you're trying to get accomplished and how to go about accomplishing it. That's for sure. Assuming he did not win the starting left guard spot, that that goes to a veteran like Quentin Spain or Suofilo, would he have then been more likely to be one of the top guys in the tackle depth? Yeah, I think I think that uh, that he's a guy that is is somebody that's capable of playing, you know, right and left side, both inside and outside. I think he's got that type of, uh, you know, that type of mentality, uh, that type of ability. I do know that uh, I did mention what uh, asked Frank about him. You know, what do you what do you think of 
Akeem Adeniji, and this was obviously before the injury, and he, he was impressed with him. It's hard not to be impressed with, with what he shows you, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, the footwork, the change of direction. Um, he's, he's, he's really pretty gifted that way. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It really is. I, I think, uh, feel, feel bad. All, all you're trying to do is improve yourself, you know, <laughs> working out, trying to get better, trying to get bigger, trying to get stronger. And, uh, those, those kind of things take place. They happen and he got bitten. So does this increase the possibility or likelihood even that the Bengals try to sign a veteran to add to their offensive line depth. I was looking at the tackles that are still out there. Rick Wagner, Russell Okun, Mitchell Schwartz, Morgan Moses, all between the ages of 30 and 32. Now, Morgan Moses, I think, is, is probably still looking at a big contract. Not sure about the others, but what do you think? Yeah, that's you've hit the magic, uh, you know, the magic sauce for the answer, I think. <laughs> what kind of contract are they looking for? And, um, you know, some some guys get to the point of their career. Well, you know, I've, I've earned quite a bit of money and this is what I'll, I'll do it for this, but I'm not going to do it for anything less. And they'll just decide, okay, I'd, I'd rather not put my body through it for the sake of, of one more year, particularly at what the price that they're offering. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not worthwhile to me. So, you know, where, where are some of those guys mindsets at, you know, where, where is their basement? You know, we know where their ceiling probably is. That's going to be easy to find out. But where's their basement? Where's the floor? So, uh, yeah, it's I, I would think you've you got to start kicking tires. There's there's no doubt you always have to you have to find out which of those guys uh, where their mentality is, you know, and, and the only way you can do it is pick up the phone and, or you know, or if you do want to fly them somewhere or you fly somewhere or whatever, if there's that kind of an interest. You have, to, you have to do your due diligence, that's for sure. And um, I'm sure they're in the process of deciding that right now and trying to explore who the more viable candidates might be of that list of guys you're talking about. All right, speaking of contracts, the Bengals have historically extended the contract of their key players as they go into the final year of their current deal. In other words, don't let them become free agents. They yep. did that last year with Joe Mixon. It often happens in training camp. And the most obvious candidates... When camp begins, are Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard? Will it happen with either or both, in your opinion? I think it'll. I think it's definitely going to happen with one. I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen with one of them. And I think there's a chance it could happen with both. I really, I really believe that uh, that those two components, those two players, are are big pieces of what they're, you know, what they're trying to uh, keep intact and then build around and. Uh, you think about it. Those are the only two guys left from like three years ago. You know, that the starters, like they, they've turned everything else over. Everybody else is, uh, is either a more recent draft pick or signed in uh, veteran free agency in the last couple of off seasons. So th those two guys are, are definitely um, the, the type of players that the Bengals would target for this kind of thing for sure. And I, I, it would not, would not surprise me if they're both um, under contract once training camp is underway at some point in time or, you know, in during the course of one of the three preseason games, there was an announcement made or even before camp, like you said, um, what would surprise me is if neither one of them are extended before the regular season starts, that would be a pretty mild, uh, more than a mild surprise to me. I think it's going to happen with both. 
Maybe I'm just too. being overly optimistic. I don't know, but it just seems to me uh, that they've got the room to do it. They've set their uh, cap situation up well in order to be able to extend those guys. And I think they feel that uh, they are very important to the culture that Zach Taylor has created. I agree with you, Dan. And, and the philosophy of the team has always been, and really the last two off seasons, it's been against that norm of rather would sign guys that have um, proven themselves that they drafted and in, in the process of developing would like to continue along that path, then bring somebody else in somebody else's guy and try to fit him into your scheme and your uh, philosophy and all that sort of thing. They, the Bengals historically have liked to try to reward their own and, and, and build a culture like you're talking about. And these two guys are, you know, are big on that side of the football defensively to, to that part of it. So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty surprised if at least one isn't done pretty quickly and then both before the start of the regular season. I agree with you. We were allowed to watch four practices this month. What were some of the things that stood out to you? I think that uh, showing up is one thing, but showing up and going to work is, is the next thing. And what, what stood out to me is I, I, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if anybody in the league got not only better attend, or t- attendance that was better than what the Bengals had from a participation standpoint, I, I think they might have been about amongst the best, if not the best, but what they did when they showed up, it wasn't just, ah, I'm here, you know, that's done. I'm going to not go through the motions, but I'm just, you know, whatever. I'm just here to be here. They were, Paul Brown used to call it in the spirit of it. And they were definitely in the spirit of it. You know, you got to be in the spirit of going out and and working and getting better and um, be with your teammates and all the things that are, are what you try to get done in these off season programs. And, And they were, I was, I was impressed with the level of, um, enthusiasm, the level of activity. Um, you know, I do think that it wasn't burdensome with, with the, with the OTAs, uh, they couldn't even do any 11 on 11 team. You know, the, the, the seven on seven was done one time in the very last OTA, they had a seven on seven where, you know, defensive backs, uh, went against receivers and, and linebackers went against tight ends and and, uh, and, and backs out of the backfield and all that sort of thing. Um, the, the only time that they were allowed to go 11 on 11, offense against defense, was in the one day of the minicamp that they had, the mandatory minicamp. You know, and that's because the players at that point in time, they're on the coach's time now. The coaches, league directive, the, the league still, you know, had some requirements. Don't overdo it when you do the team and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and teams have been fine. They've been fine draft picks for being too physical during mini camps, uh, mandatory mini camps, and so forth. Now, so the league is is player safety is a you know big factor and a big issue. But I do think that what they were asked to do, they were doing it at, at, at an all out level. I mean, there was there was no you know coasting, no you know uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go half speed. So. I'm letting you know I'm going half speed. You go half speed against me. None of that, you know, playing. Uh, let's let's just dance through this workout. It, it was pretty good work, and that that's what impressed me is the is the level of uh, level of interest, the level of activity, um, the level of commitment. All of that was was a big big deal 
considering that everybody was out there. And, and I think they, I think they made some advancements, Dan, you know, it's, it's seeing it on the board is one thing, but being out in the field, breaking the huddle and lining up and making adjustments with teammates on the field as things unfold in front of you, there's no substitute for it. And I think they, they got quite a few workouts in that way. The biggest thing that stood out to me was how much Joe Burrow did. They talked mm -hmm. about how cautious they were going to be and they were uh, to a certain extent, but if you had asked me prior to the uh, OTAs what I expected to see out of Joe Burrow, I thought he would be there. I thought he would throw some passes uh, to the wide receivers. And then I think I probably expected to see him more on the rehab field. But he basically took part in just about everything. everything. They kept him out of the 11-on-11 11 11 stuff uh, in that final mandatory or only mandatory uh, minicamp practice when there are defensive linemen and offensive linemen engaged uh, yep. just in case somebody trips or something like that. But other than that, I mean, he was rolling out left and right, uh, running forward and, you know, to, to lead the drills, as we talked about in our last podcast, maybe not sprinting 100%, but moving well and uh, giving us all a, a lot of optimism and confidence that he'll be able to answer the bell for the season opener. Yeah. And I think, I think basically um, he put his individual rehab on hold as such, you know, he said, okay, because I, I think a lot of teammates expected what you're talking, describing Dan, I think they expected him to be out there and doing some things and showing support, but still doing rehab things with guys that were on the rehab field you know, like the, uh, the offensive and defensive lineman, DJ Reader, Rennell Wren, you know, and Trey Hopkins and the guys that were rehabbing. I, I think they expected a mix like that, but I'm, his, his whole thing was, no, um, I, I tried to work with Jesse Bates and others trying to get everybody here. So since I did that, I'm doing everything. I'm doing as much as I can like you guys are. And I think that's a big statement uh, by him. And, and basically, you know, he, he said, you know, I'm still 85%. I told you I was 85% at the beginning of this process. And this month, my rehab's on hold. I'm still 85%. Now he'll go back to work with Nick Cosgray and, and, uh, and, and you know, get right back to the, the, the finer points of rehab and, and finish off and come as close as he can to 100% as quickly as he can uh, for training camp. So I, I think that that was intentional, obviously. And uh, him, him just being, uh, you know, a leader and, and proving that he wants to step up his leadership game in every way, shape or form that he can. I think from watching those practices, I have also identified what I now consider to be the Bengals biggest question mark and or potential weakness. And believe it or not, it's not the offensive line. Here's what I think is the biggest question mark. Do the Bengals have a game changing player? on defense because I think the defense is much better but I'm not sure I see a guy there that's going to get that sack or force a fumble or come up with interception when the game's on the line in the fourth quarter yeah I think you know you're looking for somebody to uh to, you know to be a playmaker when when you, you have to have somebody step up and and create a game-changing opportunity who is that guy going to be I agree right. with you I mean, I think they do have, um, you know, very, very talented guys as a group. I, I think they've got effort guys. I would never question the effort uh, that I've seen, you know, at this point in time, obviously from Sam Hubbard, Hendrickson, the, the H brothers and, and, and others. I, I, I wouldn't question their effort whatsoever. Um, I hope, I hope the guy that, uh, that, that 
continues along the path he's continuing on. And I think his teammates are starting to uh, think that he might be this guy would be, would be Jesse, you know, being the ball hawk, Jesse Bates, the ball hawking safety type guy that, that uh, quarterbacks are really going to have to look out for. They're going to have to, you know, keep one eyeball on at all times, but yeah, who is, who is the guy going to, when, when you break the huddle, come to the line of scrimmage as an offensive line, where is he? Okay. Where, you know, what, where, where's, where's LT? You always had to identify where, where's this, where's the guy that we have to take a extra precaution and put an extra body on and make sure we take care of them. You know, when you break the line of scrimmage, come up to the, uh, break the huddle, come up to the line of scrimmage. Where is the guy for the Bengals? I agree with you. Who is the guy who's going to step up and be that guy. And really from a lineman standpoint, I mean, the, the safety and all that, that's, that's the quarterback and receivers issue. You know, unless he's a guy that mixes it up and and is a in heavy in blitz packages or whatever, um, you know, and that's why, you know, part, part of me says, well, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, somebody uh, like like Mike Hilton, who who uh, can can do so many different things. Maybe is he the guy that that uh, you're gonna have to come up to the line of scrimmage as a team and say, identify where is Hilton because this guy blitzes from everywhere and he's capable of you know staying in coverage. Uh, he might be somebody that uh, that's going to come free if we don't assign an extra body to him, or uh, if we don't have an extra body quarterback change formation because he's on the edge of the defensive formation. He's got a you know high percentage of blitz. Now you have to start to account for him. And if you got a guy like that, a chess piece like that, that you make the the offense have to adjust to, you know, you're punching and they're counter punching. That's what you're trying to get done for sure. Or maybe this is a defense that doesn't have a guy but it's counting on a different guy in every game. So it's Hilton one game, it's Hendrickson in another, it's Jesse Bates in another, as opposed to having that Miles Garrett, TJ Watt kind of guy that when the game is on the line, that's the guy that, that typically makes the play. Yeah, and, and, and the defense that comes to mind a little bit when you're talking, describing what you just talked about, Dan, the Miami Dolphins defense of the perfect season. You know, it, there wasn't like, Oh, here's this perennial pro. They had a bunch of guys. You know, Bonacani was a really good linebacker. Stanford was a really good defensive lineman. But they weren't like, oh my gosh, you know, some of the best players ever. But they had a, you know, Dick Anderson in the in, on the back end. Uh, they they had players that uh, very very smart, always where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be there. Understood the 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 whole uh, defensive uh, structure and uh, concepts you know as well as anybody could and maybe maybe it's going to be that type of defense that uh you know is boy nobody's ever not where they're supposed to be these guys are always they, they're lined up right nobody's lining up if you if you line up wrong you're you're beaten before the snap of the football that's the first thing you have to do to make sure everybody gets lined up right and those guys were always lined up right and then if you change the strength of formation to whatever they always made the right adjustments and they were always hit the right gap. You know, they, they were where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. And if you can get that done uh, with, with everybody on, on the defensive side of the football, you're way ahead of the game. I'm tempted to call the OTAs and the abbreviated minicamp Camp Kumbaya uh, because there seems to be such a spirit of harmony and unity. Do you feel the same way? And, and is that Zach Taylor? Is that Joe Burrow? What accounts for that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's... Uh, um, there's a big proliferation. There's no question about it. And it, the, 
the thing too, is you look at, there's quite a few new coaches on the staff, you know, and, and, and they were all part of that, I think as well. So I think, I think Zach is really, um, really doing everything he possibly can to, to bond his coaching staff. Uh, I, I think they're doing things outside of the office as such, you know, and, and, and really trying to grow together and, and become a very uh, tight knit group uh, as far as the coaching staff goes. And then that, that trickles down to the, to the players. And um, we've already mentioned guys from a player standpoint, um, you know, Joe Burrow offensively, Jesse Bates defensively, the quarterback and the quarterback of the defense as such. I, th I think that those are two guys in pivotal places uh, that, that are important. And I think that they're up to the task of, of uh, creating a, you know, a, we are family type atmosphere that the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, talked about. The, the, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a situation where, I've said this a few times, the teams in the 80s that went to the Super Bowl, best players were amongst the best people. And when you have that, that synergistic effect, you got something special. When your best players are jerks, you got trouble. When your best players are special people, you get big success possibilities. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think that's what, that's what this team's starting to evolve to. You know, I think their better players are all top shelf, high quality people for sure. This is the first time in Zach's three years that none of the kind of vocal veterans from the Marvin Lewis era remain. Carlos Dunlap and Sean Williams are gone. Uh, A.J. Green and Geno Atkins weren't vocal but they obviously had a huge presence because of who they were yep. i don't think that zach had an issue with anybody but carlos but did guys like that have to go for the younger guys that you were referring to to step up and lead yeah i i, I think i think that uh you know sean williams i i think coaches teammates he he was the kind of guy that was all in all the time i mean everybody appreciated and loved what what sean williams brought to the table uh, like you said, Gino and AJ, they were leaders by example, not by, you know, word. They were leaders by action, not by spoken word. Um, and then, you know, Carlos obviously had had his issues down the stretch there that turned into, you know, something that just couldn't be couldn't be resolved, couldn't be handled on either either sides to either side satisfaction. But I, I do think that that there were guys ready to take over you know, some of those, uh, some of those roles. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these young players, what they turn out to be. Are they going to be guys that play really well and don't have a whole lot to say, but let their play speak for themselves? Or are they going to be guys that are, you know, more, more vocal or somewhere in between? And, and um, it's, it's interesting. Some guys, you know, you talk to teammates they played with in college, and it's like, you're kidding me. In college, man, he was rah-rah. He was vocal. He was this. He was that. Sometimes you get to the next level, and it's like, man, you're so, like, overwhelmed by how good everybody is that you just – I'm not going to speak unless spoken to. I'm just going to try to do the best job I can and survive in advance in terms on a day-to-day -day basis and try to play as well as I can. And then other times, you know, guys uh, develop at different rates, you know, and all of a sudden a guy that was, you know, a good player in college – gets an opportunity to grow and, and physically mature and all that becomes an even better player at the NFL le level. And 
he maybe was quiet, a quiet guy in college, he becomes a, a vocal guy, you know, as he matures age-wise and uh, physical presence-wise and everything else. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these guys mature over the next, you know, five, seven, eight years of their career, like the A.J. Greens and the Geno Atkinses did. So the summer vacation begins for the players as of today. And it's a relatively easy time for the two of us until training camp begins. Yes. What do you got going on? Do you have a little grand time, a grandkid time planned? Uh, what, what's up for Dave Lapham? Yeah, we do. We've got a lot of, a uh, lot of kid, a lot of time spent with the, the grandkiddies for sure. We're going to head down to Hilton Head. We've got 21 people, um, family, both sides of the family here in Cincinnati and St. Louis. Uh, my wife, Lynn's family, as well as, some of mine going down to going down to Hilton Head, and we've got nine uh, children from age one to age nine, <laughs> maybe just turning ten. I think it might be. Yeah, Seamus's birthday is while we're down there. He turns ten, so yeah, it's going to be almost like Camp Wakanda down there <laughs> with, uh, with all the little ones. You know, I got a big old pool, got a big house, obviously, with a bunch of bedrooms, and. Um, 21 uh, 21 people total pool beach right it's right on the beach so it, it, we're looking forward to it it's going to be a lot of fun appreciate your time talk to you soon you're the best that's going to do it for this episode of the bengals booth podcast brought to you by bud light seltzer refresh the game if you haven't done so already please subscribe and if you have a minute give it a rating or share a comment that helps more bengals fans find this podcast I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.